Thank you, Vanessa. Hey, good morning, everyone. Pastor Tim, and I am so glad that you are with us today. How wonderful it is that we can continue to gather here, right here in this time of worship. How exciting still it is to be on this side of Easter. You know, for 36 years, my soul is still stuck on Easter. I'm relishing the events, hearing those words, He is risen. I mean, nothing compares to this message that we have today to share. How wonderful, how comforting it is to have those words expressed. And I know all of us now are taking a step back from being busy in life and our world has stopped. And a lot of people are pondering those greater issues in life, those big questions of life. What is my purpose and, and how to make sense of this world in which some people feel trapped here? Well, we have this wonderful news to share and that is there is more to this life. The grave has been conquered, and what wonderful news it is that we have to share. I want us to dive in a little bit deeper to this scripture that is before us today in John chapter 20. Just to think about what took place after the resurrection and those hours and days that followed, what it must have been like for that band of brothers, those disciples, Jesus' family, and the scripture here indicates to us that they are huddled in their house, kind of like we are huddled today, in our homes, sheltered in place. And they are hiding from the Jewish leaders and the Roman officials, kind of like we are hiding from this virus that plagues our land. And they too are scared to death by what they have seen and what they have heard. You know, I don't know if you've ever witnessed a car accident or if you've ever been present when there was some other type of significant injury to your friend or to yourself, and you want to gather with other people. You want to share your story, what you observed and what you felt and, and how you experienced it. And here these disciples are doing that as they're gathered together. Jesus' tomb was empty. His body was gone. It was missing. They're fearing there that the authorities, the Jews, are going to accuse them of having stolen the body. And to hear he's risen, these disciples, no doubt, there was that element of being embarrassed. I mean, here their close friend, Jesus, had gone to the cross, and it seemed like they were nowhere to be found as they hid themselves. And Jesus is alive. Surely he would be unhappy with their, their faithlessness. Imagine the disciples here locked in this room when all of a sudden Jesus is standing among them. Now, if you were Jesus, what would you say? Probably that phrase that we often hear these days, well, I told you so. I told you I was going to go to the cross and I was going to be resurrected. I was going to still live. I told you so, but that's not at all what Jesus said. As he stood there amongst them, he shared those wonderful words, peace be with you. Relax, friends, for I have conquered the grave. Now, the life here of these disciples had just caved in. Their world had just come to a screeching halt. The roof had just collapsed. And the days here after Easter are filled with these post-resurrection stories. 
and they extend to us, even in our day, great hope. We are living in a post-resurrection story today. We continue to move from the shadows into the light, even during this pandemic, sharing some anxiety together, but also knowing at the end of the day that we shall overcome. That, oh death, where is your sting? For we have victory over the grave. Now, life, as you know, is filled with so many unexpected circumstances. So many things that happen to us in life come out of left field. They come just suddenly out of nowhere. Nobody plans to get cancer. Nobody plans to have their car totaled or to be injured in a fall. Nobody plans to have divorce papers served or for the test results to come back negative or for our Lord to die. I want to ask you today, if you were to play that word association game, sometimes that we played in some of our small groups or maybe in school, we've been challenged there to, to think, to associate a word with, with maybe something or someone. And if I were to, for example, share with you uh, and mention the name of Judas, I bet you many people would write down today the word betray. But maybe not all of you. Maybe some would write the word Iscariot or one of Jesus' disciples. If I were to mention Simon Peter, perhaps some of you would write down that word faith, but not all of you. Some might write another word. If I were to mention to you James and John, some of you might write that phrase, the sons of thunder, but not all of you. But I bet you if I were to mention the word Thomas, I bet you all, or practically all of you, would write the word doubt. So closely here, from Scripture, we have associated Thomas with this word that we've actually coined that phrase, haven't we? Doubting Thomas. Now, the Gospels, those synoptic Gospels, really are fairly silent on this guy that we also call Didymus or Thomas. There's not a lot in there, if anything at all, about this gentleman. It's only when we get to John's Gospel here in these words that we find here him emerging and really with less than 150 or 160 words and we find in one location there in John chapter 11 Jesus turned his face toward Jerusalem and the disciples thought it would be certain death for them but who is it that makes this starting claim but it's Thomas for he says well then let us go that we might die with him that's a bold statement for someone that is being called a person of doubt here Thomas has great courage as he speaks those words. And we also fail to point out here oftentimes that it's in this story of doubting Thomas, we have the one place in all the Gospels where the divinity of Christ is so bluntly and unequivocally stated. I mean, the story that gives Thomas his infamous nickname is also the same story that Thomas is making this earth-shattering confession. He, he says, my Lord, my God, not, not my Messiah, not my friend or my fellow rabbi, but he says, my God, my Lord. It's the only place where Jesus is called God without any kind of qualification. You are my Lord. You are my God. Now, 
we are all guilty of doubt. We all have those moments of skepticism, that question that kind of pops up in the back of our mind. And you know, doubt is really defined as hesitation. It has to do with fluctuation and, and wavering and that, that, that piece of uncertainty. And it carries that attitude along with it of having some apprehension, of having a little bit of fear. And when doubt remains, I have to tell you, it takes over your life. It begins to control you. And fear does seep in. And you begin to assume the worst. And every situation, you become so pessimistic about life. Well, in John chapter 20, I want us to spend a moment here just thinking about what took place in the lives of these disciples. I believe there's some things that we can really take with us today. And in this season that we find ourselves, perhaps some of you are, are doubting. And, and I think if you'll ponder these verses a little further, you'll come to ditch the doubt. You'll come to embrace our risen Lord and, and find so much joy and hope. The first thing I want to point out of this text here that we find down in verses 19 to 23 is the benefits of devotion. Just think of this here. These disciples all gathered together. This was certainly difficult times for each of them. They had seen the Lord spit upon. They had seen the scourging, him beaten and mocked, his clothes ripped from him and then to be hung in that way on a cross, those nails driven through his hands and the spear into his side. They had witnessed all this, and even in their confusion, even in those moments of bewilderment, they couldn't believe this was actually happening to them. They remained loyal at the end of the day. They gathered together and they were sharing with one another their love for God and, and perhaps how they had messed up and, and even denied him. And yet they are there gathered together and they are rewarded for it. We have this same opportunity, I want you to know today, for us to continue to gather together and huddle with one another. We find here in this story that when Jesus comes, he doesn't blame Thomas. We know so often the church's handling of doubt is really to be coupled with disbelief. And yet Jesus here never condemned and criticized Thomas. I, I think he understood that once Thomas reached and touched those nail scars, once his doubts were gone, he would be one of the staunchest, one of the most loyal disciples in all of Christendom. I, I must admit that I am dubious when I hear people say that they have no doubt. When they say to themselves that I just absolutely have no skepticism and I've always been 100% sure of myself, let me say to you that it's authentic faith that always begins with intellectual honesty. And doubt is the bedrock of honesty. I mean, put it another way, faith is not the absence of doubt, it's the overcoming of doubt. I, I have stood in the hospital room and I've heard the cry, the, the anguish of parents. I, I've been standing there on a cold winter day by the grave and had those people look at my eye and I've heard, is it true, Pastor? Is it true that I can have life, that this world, it's not the end, but that there's hope? There's those doubts that seem to seep in sometimes. 
into our mind. And I've stood there, that sliver of doubt is raised. Who never doubted, never half believed? Because where doubt is, there is faith. Or as that great 19th century British poet said, Alfred Lloyd Tennyson, he said, there lives more faith in honest doubt than in half the creeds. You know, we find ourselves crying out, Lord, help my unbelief. And we find just as these disciples were gathered together, Jesus appeared. We discover as they were talking around the table, as they were breaking bread together, as they were sharing their feelings with one another, Jesus came and stood among them. And this wasn't a dream. This was no hallucination, but it was the Lord. And he was there in their midst and he revived their spirits. He restored their joy. He reestablished them and comforted them. I don't know about you, but I love being in the presence of Christ. I love having the Lord beside me, especially when those, those times of difficulty and you cry out in prayer and you seek God's wisdom and you invite God's presence. There have been many times when I didn't know which way to turn and what to do, and I found hope when I remained devoted and continued to seek the Lord. Secondly, we find the burden of doubt, especially here in this one disciple, Didymus or, or Thomas. And just as there are these awesome benefits of, of the Lord gives us his presence and the power of his Holy Spirit as he breathed that into the disciples that day, we also know this doubt that's there is a heavy burden that sometimes we carry, people carry today. And it robs us of our hope. It steals our joy away. It diminishes our confidence. Notice here this doubt that was in the life of Thomas. It, it brought deception into his life. This deep skepticism, it brought this type of despair. And you may have seen him, but unless I reach out and touch him, unless I see him, how can you however, you know, really conclusively prove all of those qualities in life, like love. How can you really verify love? How can you conclusively prove faith or your friendship? I mean, let me tell you what happens when you live in a purely rationalistic world where miracles are removed. You know, I'm thinking about the guy known as Thomas Jefferson. You may even see on the screen right now a Bible. You know, Thomas Jefferson is widely accepted as one of the great intellectuals of our country. I mean, here's a guy that was really so deep in thought and, and wrote so well. But did you know maybe that he was such a skeptic that he didn't believe in miracles? In fact, so much so that he wrote his own Bible. It's available today. And you can get it, and you can read it. And in the Thomas Jefferson Bible, you will find only moral teachings. There's no virgin birth. There's no healing of Jairus' daughter. There's no walking on water, and there's no resurrection. Here's how his Bible ends, friends. There lay they Jesus and rolled a great stone at the mouth of the sepulcher, and they departed. For Thomas 
Jefferson, the gospel ended at the foot of a grave. It's very easy, is it not, for us to get out our pocket knife and begin to cut away at the Bible, to omit or overlook some of those exhortations and some of the teaching that Jesus shares and some of the things that happen, like these incredible miracles and these, these wonderful uh, times that Jesus healed people, and even the resurrection so many do that today and simply dismiss those things. And, and, and the story here remains that these disciples were witnesses to these events, even giving their lives. Now, Thomas here has gotten kind of a bad rap down through the years. When he heard about these events, he refused, the scripture indicates to us here in the beginning, he refused to believe it, to embrace it. And I'm not sure why he wasn't there in the first place. Maybe the despair had really gotten him down. Maybe he just couldn't face the other disciples and was still in disbelief. Maybe he's the forerunner of some of the cynicism that we have today. It takes far less here to create doubt in our hearts than it did for Thomas. And many times when trouble comes, you know, we get out of church. When the pain comes, when the difficulty arises, when there's conflict, sometimes we want to leave the church. And I can't understand why that happens in the lives of so many people. I do not know where I would be, friends, without the church. In those times of hardship, when there's trial and struggle, to have these authentic friends around you, encouraging you, praying for you, reaching out to you to pick you up. I find such incredible strength in that. Here Thomas missed what Jesus had for him. And you know, this is a great point here because if we ever need God, we need him in these times of trouble. And if we are not around, we risk having the blessing of Jesus' presence, of seeing Jesus do something really powerful in our midst. How many things we miss today from being absent from church? Think of this burden of doubt that's here upon this one person. We know it was also present in John. John said, well, are you the one who comes to baptize? Even Jesus there hanging on the cross, quoting that Psalm 22, perhaps, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here, Thomas is saying, well, I'm not going to believe unless I reach out and touch. But aren't you glad the story doesn't end here at this verse? The second time Jesus made his appearance, Thomas was present, and this time he too witnessed the event. He, he too witnessed Christ. And notice the beauty of this discovery. Uh, you find a great blessing here. Isn't it true when you look to Christ Listen to these words again. Jesus said, Thomas, you have believed because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You know, I don't know about you and how that makes you feel, but I am in awe of that. I stand blessed by that. Jesus is talking about me, friends. I'm not going to have the luxury, the, 
the great opportunity to walk around with Jesus. I mean, just being over in the Holy Land a couple of months ago and, and being able to walk through the streets of Jericho and, and out to Masada and, and down to different places in that area where Jesus walked and taught and healed and shared. I'm not going to have that same opportunity as Thomas. I'm not going to have the opportunity to put my fingers in his nail-scarred hands. I'm not going to have the opportunity to put my fingers, my hand, and touch his side where the sword pierced. And yet we find here that Jesus understands and says it's harder for me to believe Thomas and he counts me blessed. I am so, so blessed by that. Jesus came back again when Thomas was there. And it was then that Thomas made this discovery that Jesus really is alive. And Jesus restored him to fellowship. Jesus renewed his faith. And you know what? You cannot focus on Christ in faith and continue in doubt at the same time. You know, when you learn to look at Christ rather than wallow in doubt, you can find great joy. You can discover real peace. And I tell you today, friends, we need to ditch the doubt and to move into that firmness of our faith with our eyes focused on Christ. Jesus warned Thomas here, stop doubting and believe. Now, perhaps like you, I've heard recently, I've seen on the news, how the smog reports are so much better. Have you heard about this? Uh, how the air pollution seems to have changed. Cleaner air is now available because our manufacturing has stopped and we don't have all the vehicles on the road. And, you know, it makes me remember of another time in the life of a pastor, the great prince of pre preachers, Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon, back in the 19th century, he was going to Newcastle, England, which was known as a very dirty town, an industrial town, and he's looking for an apartment, a place to stay. And the landlord shows him this wonderful apartment where he can call it his home. And he said, here, come up here, Charles. Look out this window. And if you do on a Sunday, you can see this castle. You can see here this place, this cathedral on a Sunday. And Spurgeon looks at him, well, what's so special about Sunday? Why do you say Sunday? And he said, because, said the landlord, the furnaces are not working on Sunday and there is no smoke and you can therefore see farther. I want to say to you today that when we come to worship on Sundays, we get to peek into the heart of God. When we gather in worship, we come to see further. We come and stand in the presence of God. We come and we invite the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to guide our souls, to lift our eyes above this world into that place that he has for us, a place not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. Now, I know there are times when we face grief. There are times when we go through deep pain. There's time when we experience depression and, and these moments of disappointment. There are times when these things happen to us that threaten our faith. And when these moments of doubt come, I want to remind you about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, never doubt in the dark what you have been told 
in the light. What Jesus has said in those moments of life. In, in the moments of life, God has told you he will never abandon you. Abandon you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. In those moments of light, we find that he was resurrected. In those moments of light, God has told you that the very hairs of your head are numbered. Friends, don't ever doubt in the darkness, even in the times of a global pandemic, what the Lord has told you in the light. Peace be with you. Shall we pray? Mighty God, we thank you for these moments of worship together. We thank you, Lord, for this incredible story, how it resonates still in our souls. And Lord, even in the middle of all the challenges of life, we know these are difficult and trying times. We pray for those, Lord, who are out of work today. We pray for those who have fallen ill. We pray for those, Lord, who have doubts in their minds. Lord, where are you? We ask you, God, to shine your light upon them, to extend those precious words of peace, and that others may come to ditch the doubt and embrace your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray this day. Amen.